Well, hey, I'm excited to introduce our speaker today. She is one of our family, and um, she's a great communicator. She's a teacher at heart, and uh, I've got the privilege to call her my sister-in-law, and I've also got the opportunity to, to, to see her sermon and what she's going to be preaching about, and it is a phenomenal word today. So why don't you help me welcome Kendra Green as she comes today to speak. three years since I've given a full message up here. Um, not trying to like, you know, like forewarn anything, but like the last time I spoke, it was the week that the world shut down. Like I gave my message and then everything shut down. So it's going to be fine. This week's going to be fine. It's going to be a wonderful blessed week. Um, but if you don't see me in here often, it's because the Sundays I'm not in here, I'm in the nursery holding your babies, loving on them, changing their diapers. And I love every bit of it. So in case you're like, who's this girl? I haven't seen her. It may be because you only come on the Sundays that I'm in the nursery. So that could be part of it. But um, I am so excited to get to share the word with you today. Thank you to my pastors for entrusting this platform with me. Um, my husband, in case you don't know, is the guy who was just leading us in worship. So grateful for him and the team kind of paving the way for me before I get up on the stage, preparing our hearts for the week. So, so thankful for our worship team. Um, I don't want to take too much time because I'm like, oh my God, I got a lot here. And I'm like, hopefully I didn't forget how to do this. Um, but a little bit about me. Um, my day consists of homeschooling our four kids. It's a newer thing to us this year. So it's a lot. Um, I'm also in school getting my um, degree in psychology. So that's a lot. Um, I also have 10 chickens. Um, that's fun. That's the fun, that's the fun thing. Um, so we got a lot going on, but I love it. It's a full life. Um, so when Pastor Nate asked me to speak, I was like, sure, sure, I'll fit that in somewhere. But is anyone like a procrastinator like me? Like you have mastered the art of procrastination. Like you have figured out, you know what, I'm not even going to try to do it until last minute because I know it's not going to work. In fact, I get a lot of stuff done when I'm trying to put things off. Like I'm real, like I got, I went through drawers, like clean things out, like Things I haven't seen in years, I'm like, why do I need this? Let's get rid of it. Like, I got so much done because I was like, no, I'm not going to work on my message just yet. So this is the art of procrastination at its finest right here, but it's going to be great. The Lord, Lord speaking through me. So let's get started. Have you ever opened up your Bible and thought, what in the world am I reading? Like, it makes no sense. Or maybe it shows up in your life. You're following God. You're like, I'm doing all the right things. And I just feel like I'm failing. Maybe you don't understand what it is that God is doing in your life. I'm going to say you're not alone. In fact, we weren't necessarily meant to understand the ways of God. And if you're going to open up your Bible, I don't recommend just opening it and like, let's start here. You're going to be very confused. Especially don't start like in Revelation. You're going to get very confused and you're just going to close it and give up on reading your Bible. If you ever are like starting reading your Bible for the first time, get a devotional like with someone who's going to explain it to you to where it makes sense because the Bible doesn't make sense, right? You know, everything about the life of Jesus shows us that he was an uncommon man on an uncommon mission to turn everything upside down. He wanted to confuse you. He wanted to challenge your normal ways of thinking. 
If you open up your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, we see the retelling of Jesus' birth. The son, of, the son of God, okay? Jesus is the Son of God, born to a virgin. What? Like, it, it starts with that. Born to a virgin, and he was born in a manger. What? Like, it doesn't make sense. He was to be the coming king, the savior of the world. But this was not the king that everyone was expecting. So starting with Luke 2, Jesus is a baby, okay? And his parents bring him to the temple, as was the custom in the day, to um, offer a sacrifice on behalf of Jesus because he is their firstborn son. So they're, they're there in the temple and a prophet named Simeon comes and he gathers Jesus up. And this is what he says about Jesus. He says, a light a revelation to the Gentiles. That's what he's saying Jesus is. He's prophesying over him, okay? Now the Gentiles, just, you know, just so it can make sense to you, a Gentile is simply someone who's not a Jew, okay? So he's saying he is a light to the world in the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your soul to the end that thoughts in many hearts may be, may be revealed. God, we thank you so much for your word. We pray right now as we listen to your message, God, and read your scriptures, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would search our souls, Lord, and, and reveal the things that need to be dealt with, God, I pray that you would cleanse our hearts so we can give them to you and live in service to you, Lord. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. So here we see Jesus' life purpose being spoken over him. He's our salvation, our light. He's a sword to pierce our souls and reveal our hearts. So in this time on earth, which he knew would be short-lived, Jesus had a very short but impactful ministry. He taught, he trained, he performed miracles, he healed people. And he did this because he knew, I'm not gonna be with you forever, so I've gotta teach you how to also be the light in this world. So you two, I'm looking at all of you, you are the light in this world. So the, the concepts that he's trying to teach in Luke are all about helping us also be disciples in this world. So why is this concept of the upside down kingdom, that's my message for today, why is that important for us? Well, first of all, it levels the playing field. As I read these concepts, you'll see that the values that Jesus puts in place, it transcends social status, it transcends economic status, where you went to college, who your parents are, how long you've been a Christian, because at the end of the day, the light of Jesus is going to reveal everything. It doesn't matter who you are. Secondly, it reminds us to question everything about our natural tendencies, our nature. And it challenges us to put aside the thought of, well, this is just the way I am. Thirdly, it encourages us to question our cultural norms. Our society um, wants us to believe that this is just how things are now. It's ever-changing and accommodating, but Jesus says, but this is what I say. You'll see in the book of Luke many times as he's teaching, he'll say, you have heard or you have been told, and Jesus says, but this is what I say. So he's challenging us at every turn. So let's now look at these teachings to see what it is he wants us to know. The first one is, the least among you is greatest. 
Turn to your neighbors and say, make it make sense. In Luke 6, 20, it says, blessed are you who are rich, for yours is the kingdom of God. Is that what it says? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. This is in stark contrast to how our society works, right? Like we think of the rich and famous. We think of the Elon Musks and the name of famous person. Jeff Bezos. You said, someone said something. Kardashians, oh Lord. <laughs> so we look to the rich and the powerful, the ones with the most influence. I mean, I guess they are influential, right? And believe that they are the greatest. But this is not so with Jesus and his kingdom. This Jesus, our Jesus, demonstrated that the least is greatest by washing the feet of his disciples. The greatest of all, Jesus took on the role of a servant and washed the dirty feet of his disciples. I know some feet people in this house are people that have a feet phobia, and they're like, I love you, but I ain't washing your feet. (laughs) So then Jesus told them to go and do the same. He told them to go and wash people's feet as well. Because when you live life with a servant mindset, nobody and nothing is beneath you. Nothing. Serving in the nursery, changing a dirty diaper, that's not beneath you. Being out in the parking lot when it's freezing cold, (laughs) waving people in so they can hear the word of God, that's not beneath you. When you have a servant's heart, you're willing to do whatever it takes. And you know what? You may not always feel like it. But you can certainly work your way into a better mindset. Your thoughts will follow your actions. And when you change your thoughts, you can change your life and the life of many others. Jesus' greatest demonstration of this concept is at the cross. The creator of the universe gave his life for his creation. So rather than coming as a conquering king, he came as the suffering servant that we see prophesied in Isaiah 53. It's hard to imagine a greater role reversal than our king, our savior, dying on a cross as a criminal. Yet this is what he did. So anytime you feel inconvenienced in your life because you're being asked to do something that's hard, think about your savior. He wasn't a criminal, but he chose to take on that for you and for me. Okay, so our second concept now is give and you will receive. Turn to your other neighbor and say, make it make sense. It doesn't say, hold on to all you have and accumulate more and you'll have so much stuff. No, it says give and it will be given to you. Now, I don't know about you, but in my Bible, let me find it. There we go. In my Bible, this scripture is like underlined, highlighted, there's arrows to it, all the things, because the the times I've read this and I've heard it and even preached this, it's been about giving. It's been about money and your finances, right? Well, this scripture, Luke 6, 36, sorry, 638, actually, it says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you give, you use, it will be measured to you. 
Let's consider how incredibly deep this scripture is in the context of this paragraph. So the heading of this scripture, I don't know, my, my, my Bible has like headings, right? Right here it says judging others. So if we took out this scripture, there'd be no doubt that Jesus is talking about forgiving others. Before that scripture it says, do not judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, forgive and you will be forgiven. Be merciful. He's repeating himself and honestly, like he's gotta repeat himself multiple times throughout the gospels because he's like, they're not getting it. You're still not, I'm gonna say it again. They're still not getting, okay, let me tell it in a story form. Story time, kids. Like, he uses parables to help us understand these concepts because he knows they're not gonna get it the first time. So we're reading this passage about forgiveness and all of a sudden he drops this verb, give. So is he out of nowhere suddenly talking about money and material things? No. He's actually instructing those who want to follow him to give forgiveness with an uncondemning attitude in the same amount that we desire to be forgiven. We are to be as merciful as God is to us while we are judging, while we are condemning and forgiving others in the same way we want to be judged, condemned, and forgiven. Now that's easy to say, right? It's easy to do to people you don't really know. But what about the people you do know? What about people in your own home? When you say you forgive, you say, yeah, okay, I forgive you, whatever. Like, I don't know about you, but my kids, when I ask them to like apologize to each other, it's like, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, you come back when you're ready to have, give a proper apology. And then they can't just say, it's fine. Like we have a, there's a process. I am sorry for hitting you. I forgive you. Like that's the process. And it has to be heartfelt or else there's no real change, right? Well, that happens with us as adults as well. We say we forgive people and then we walk around with a terrible attitude. Our unforgiveness shows in our life. Your unforgiveness is showing. You can't cover it up. I see it all over your face. Your RBF is not a rest blessed face. Like fix it. (laughs) It's easy to say to forgive until you've been abused and you know you're never gonna get that apology. It's easy to say that you should forgive until someone accuses you of something you haven't done and you have to see them on a regular basis. So search your heart. What unforgiveness are you holding in your, in your heart? Excuse me. But it is freeing. In this upside down kingdom, there is an upside. It is so freeing to know that God wants me to be wealthy with forgiveness. He can't give me enough forgiveness. So how can you and I focus on giving forgiveness to those around us in a way that's pleasing to him? I want you to think, cons- think and consider your everyday life. How are you giving life to other people? Are you being generous with your words and your actions in your life? We can get so self-centered and focus on preserving our energy and our time, but then at the end of the day, we still feel depleted in our souls. If you get home at the end of the day or you go to lay your head on your pillow at the end of the day and you're like, man, I'm just bone tired. Like I have nothing to give to anyone else but did you use all your energy just preserving yourself and keeping your family safe and all the things? If that's the case, I wanna challenge you to give to someone else. 
to see a need in someone else and, and be the one to fill it. Don't just do all day, give. Do you think, well, I'm doing stuff all day long for other people. Stop doing things for people. Stop doing and give. Because you can give what you want to give all day long, but if it's not what someone needs, you're doing nothing. Okay. Okay. My third point, third concept that Jesus wants us to understand is the humble will be exalted. Shout it out. Make it make sense. Luke 14, 11 says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So here he's addressing the concept of preferring others above yourself. But if we go back and read the scripture that's above this, it helps us to understand, like, what are you talking about, Lord? Luke 14, 8, Jesus has gone to a religious leader's home and he's having dinner and he, there's a group of people there and he's watching how everyone's taking their seats. You know, he's very observant. He watches and then he asks questions. So he's, he's watching and he's seeing people take seats in places of honor. And he says, don't do that. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the seat, uh, take the least important place. That's embarrassing, y'all. Excuse me, we need your seat. Move, please. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. So Jesus is saying that humility brings honor. That's embarrassing, right? Like, Going to like someone's house and you go sit at the head of the table, like don't do that. Yeah. Go wait, wait for everyone to be seated and say, sure, I'll take this last seat. And then they may say, you know what, take my seat instead. We're talking about a table and dinner, but this could apply to many areas in our lives where we don't choose to, to hurry and get out front and, and be the one that's seen. But we take, the, we take the road less traveled, we take the back seat so that others can be honored because we know that God will exalt us. Isn't it better for God to move us to a better place, to lift us up, to shine a light on us than for than earthly people to do it? Because as soon as they don't like us, it's going to go away anyways. I would rather have the accolades in heaven than have them here on earth. So how can we cultivate humility in our own lives? Let's consider three aspects of biblical humility. One, think of yourself less often. Two, think of others more often. And then three, think of God most often. Makes sense, right? C.S. Lewis once said that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Someone else also said, don't accept your dog's admiration as conclusive evidence that you are wonderful. If you want a true measure of your worth, get a cat. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> If you have cats, you know, you get home and they're like, oh, they're home. Great. Welcome to my palace. Also, go refill my food. <laughs> but it's the humble person who does not focus on what they don't have, but they focus on what others don't have. When you don't have humility, your pride can take over. And your language sounds a lot more like, I want, I want, I need. When you humble yourself, your language sounds more like, you need. What can I do for you? 
True humility thinks about others more often than oneself. This is a value I am constantly trying to remind my children of. Stop being greedy and trying to get the last cookie or the last scoop of ice cream. Instead, ask someone else if they want it, right? Like, everyone tries to race for the, for the front seat in the car literally this morning. And I was like, come on, guys. Like, and I couldn't get one out of the front seat. And I was like, just get in the back. Just get in the back. Because they don't understand the, the concept of, you know what? It's really not that important to have the front seat. I really could, could prefer my sister and let her have the front seat. I'll feel better about myself if I do that instead of fighting on the way to church. How about instead of squeezing out the person in traffic because it was their fault that they literally saw the giant line, decided to come all the way from the back, and they're going to sit there and try to squeeze their way in, right? I know how frustrating that is. But instead of letting your anger rise, just put on your brakes and say, come on in. Just come on in. When you want to do other hand gestures, just wave them in. Come on. There's so many examples I could give about what it's like to prefer others. Maybe in your job, you see an opportunity to where you can have the upper hand. You've been waiting to get that promotion. You've been waiting to catch the eye of your boss so you can get that chance to say or do something to be like, hey, but this was me, all me. Yeah, it was a group project, but I, I was the one that stayed up late to work on it. How about in your marriage? I was, I was the one that was here all week. It's your, mm-mm. no, you don't get to do that. My turn. Ooh, no one wants to say anything there. <laughs> it's humility. Honor the other without worrying about how lifting them may detract from you. God's going to honor you. Proverbs 9.23 says, sorry, 29.23 says, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. You might think, now's my chance to tell how that person really is. Everybody knows. You don't need to say anything anyways. Take the place of honor. Don't take it. Give honor, and God will give you honor. Humility is hard. It goes against our nature to climb our way to the top. Our natural tendency is to be like, no, I'm the best. The key to which, the key which you may have not used to unlocking humility in your life is to submit your life to God. True humility comes from confessing your sin and your rebellion to God and asking him to save you. True humility begins by going to the model of humility, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus can transform you. Believe it or not, he can transform you from a self-absorbed person into a person who thinks of God most often. The last and final point, the concept that Jesus wants us to grasp is you must die to gain life. Doesn't make sense. I've got to die? Are we talking about zombies here? No, I'm not talking about zombies. I don't like zombies, okay? Luke 9.23 says, whoever wants to, be, wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. In the context of these passages, Jesus had been predicting his own death. He was talking to his disciples and explaining to Peter, hey, Peter, I've got to die for this, for this plan to work. And anyone who wants to also follow me must 
must do the same, but in a more spiritual sense. So if we want to be his disciple, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. But here's the problem. We, we get saved, and we get stuck at denying ourselves. We, our, we make Christianity in our whole life about, well, well, now I can't do this. Now I can't do that. It's a, it's, we make it a, a law. Like, we follow the law instead of the grace of God. Well, God's promises are to free us. Jesus came to, to free us, not so that we could live under this condemnation of, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. Okay, you deny yourself and then you take up your cross. He didn't say, look at your cross and feel sorry for yourself. He said, pick it up and follow Jesus. He said, we've got things to do. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. We have a difference to make in this world. So we deny ourselves, deny our flesh, our sin nature, our natural tendencies, the things you're like, well, this is just the way I am. Well, Jesus died so you wouldn't stay how you are. We pick up our cross and we follow him. Culture advises us to do what's best for you. You do you, boo. I would say the people that say that to you really don't care about you. They don't care about the best for you. You do you, boo. Yeah, like means like, well, you do you, but I'm not, I don't want to have anything to do with what happens after that. Jesus' vision for our good and his glory requires us at least temporarily I'm not saying your whole life has to look like this sad sacrifice, okay? But to deny ourselves of some desires and natural tendencies for the sake of faithfully following him. So practically, if you, if you feel led, you know what, God, I, I feel called to this mission. I feel called to, to give an offering. I don't know. Sacrifice some coffee during the week so you can save some money. It could mean, it could mean sacrificing some TV time that you can do other things to further God's kingdom. So you can go have dinner with that person who's been needing some guidance and help. You say you don't have time to mentor other Christians or to meet with, with other couples or um, maybe you know of a, a couple that's married and they're having trouble and you're further along than them and you could invite them into your home. Oh, I got that. I got that new series I got to watch. You've got time to do what God's asking you to do. Influence looks like being one step ahead of somebody else. So in your life, think about the people that you're a little bit ahead of that maybe need your time, need your energy. Sacrifice that TV time. Fulfilling God's purpose for our lives is so important and accomplishing his will and making a difference in the lives of others is what it's all about. If it's not hard enough, okay, Jesus goes a step further. Not only must Christians be willing to lose earthly comforts, but we are asked, like I said, to pick up our crosses daily and follow him. Saying that we must regularly embrace suffering. But you know what? That suffering is what connects us to the cross. That suffering connects us to Jesus. And when I remember what the suffering is for, then I'm reminded that there's an earth beyond this one. I'm like, oh yeah, this is not my home. Thank God. I'm reminded that it's not all about what's happening here. It's not about what I achieve and gain in this world. It's about what treasures I'm storing up in heaven. It's about the, the home I'm having in heaven and the people I'm gonna see there and the people I'm bringing along with me and along the way. So while we're here, we may suffer a little bit, 
but we're bringing people with us because your suffering is your story. And when you tell your story to other people, it gives them hope to say, you know what, I can do the same. So we're reaching and we're grabbing for more people. Christianity is like network marketing. You just tell one more person, they're gonna grab a couple people and then those people are gonna grab a couple people and then we're all in heaven together and we're all benefiting from it. Hey, you can get on Instagram and influence people all day long, but what about for the kingdom of God? Okay, it's not that hard. Sorry, that came across real hard. That's not that hard, jeez. <laughs> but everyone has a cross to bear. We may be able to visibly see your cross that you're bearing today. Maybe your cross to bear looks like a sickness. Maybe your cross is something you're picking up in your own home. Maybe you have a spouse that doesn't come to church, that isn't living the same lifestyle as you. Maybe you have parents or brothers or sisters that you're praying for, that it is, you are suffering because you are like, man, what else can I do to get them to meet Jesus? Maybe you're suffering every day simply because your, your cross is with your children. Y'all, I don't mean, mean to be melodramatic about it, but if you have children and you look around our culture for one minute, you're gonna realize that you have a job to do. And sometimes that job requires a huge sacrifice. It requires you to lay down your life daily, sacrifice your own desires, the things that you want to do. You'd rather be doing other things instead of having to constantly remind your children of good values and the things that God wants to have inside their hearts. It is a job. And sometimes it feels like suffering, okay? <laughs> but we're in this together. Submitting to Jesus' lordship, which lordship means that like, you believe he is lord over all, not just one part. Jesus' lordship over every sphere of your life might mean that we lose relationships, might mean we lose social status, you might lose some followers, you might lose your career advancement, maybe there's certain freedoms in your life that you're gonna have to give up in order to fulfill the call that God has placed on your life. Sustaining the seemingly impossible task of sacrifice feels like supernatural strength. But you know what? You come to church, you find friends that are also on the same journey as you, and you give each other strength. There is strength in numbers. We have to support one another and know that when you pray daily and you read the word, God is, God is filling you with that strength. You don't have to do it alone. This doesn't quite sound like living, right? Like it said to die so that you can live, and you're like, okay, where's the living part? Like, we feel like dying right now. Why would Jesus ask us to live sacrificially? Doesn't he want us to enjoy life? I believe very much that when we realize that we are sacrificing on account of Jesus, God fills us with peace. He fills us with joy. It is possible to have the joy of the Lord and truly enjoy life while you are also suffering. If we can remember why Jesus was brought to earth in the first place, you know, when he was born, his parents knew that he was gonna be giving up his life. He started his life already dying. But he came to be the light in a dark world, to be our savior, and we are also meant to be that light. Maybe, you're, maybe because of the cross you bear, your light looks like a spotlight. Maybe your light looks like a little flashlight. Like I said, maybe your, your cross to bear is something that you're dealing with silently, 
behind the scenes, no one's ever gonna see it, but you're doing it. And we're doing it so we can stand out and stand up for Jesus. But the peace and the fulfillment that you're going to have because of that is far beyond anything, any pleasures that the world could provide. Because the pleasures of this world are momentary. They're gonna go away. But the fulfillment that Jesus provides is lasting and it's eternal. Because remember, this world's gonna go away. And when we get to heaven and he opens that big book of life, I imagine it's like a giant book, big book of life, you're gonna see your name written in there. And you're gonna see the people you brought to heaven with you. You're gonna see the deeds that you've done to do his work. It's not gonna say what you, oh, he bought this car on this day, and oh, she looked so good in this picture. Like, it's not gonna say any of that. It's gonna talk about what you've done for Jesus. The truth of the gospel promises life through Jesus' loss of his own life. And no matter what earthly losses we experience, our faithful sacrifices to Christ will not go unrewarded. There's no telling what God will do in your life. There's no telling what promises he's going to fulfill on this side of heaven before you reach eternity. Today's loss is eternity's glorious gain. So we've talked about preferring others, right? We've talked about losing our life to gain life. We've talked about living generously, humbling ourselves. It's not a call to perfection. Okay, I don't want you thinking I'm standing up here as a perfect person expecting you to live a perfect life. That's not at all what it's about. Hear me on this. I know what it feels like to sacrifice daily. I know what it feels like, maybe not to the extent of some of you, maybe some of you are walking through some really hard days. I don't have this figured out. And you may feel like this is a call to cowardly living. Like, oh, just prefer others and be nice and be kind. Living for God is anything but cowardly. It is courageous living. It is saying no to the pull of culture. It's saying no to the things that you really want to do so you can do what's better. It, take cur it takes courage to sacrifice what seems good for right now for God to work out the goodness that's really trying to happen. It's called having a kingdom mindset, lifting our eyes and shifting our perspective to the here and now, sorry, to, from the here and now to the heavenly someday. And you know, maybe some of you are here and you're hearing this and it can be hard to understand because this is not necessarily a message for unbelievers because you've already been saved. Now we're working on denying ourselves and living a life so we can bring others along with us, right? So if you're here and you're like, this is hard for me to grasp because I haven't even received Jesus's invitation to live in eternity with him. Maybe you're so focused on this life that you don't even know what's happening next. You're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, what does happen when I die? Well, friend, we wanna invite you. I wanna stand in the gap on behalf of Jesus and invite you to commit your life to him to let him lead your life so that you don't have to live your life on your own strength anymore. These concepts we're talking about that Jesus is trying to teach us, that doesn't happen on your own strength. Because as soon as those natural tendencies come up, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, Jesus, help me, Lord. <laughs> because our natural selfish desires come up, so we need Jesus on a daily and momentary basis to have the strength to live for him 
to follow him so that your life can live for a kingdom that is upside down, for a kingdom that does not outlast, that outlasts this world. So if you would, with every eyes closed and every head bowed, I wanna invite those of you who don't know where you're spending eternity to think about this concept of dying to self. When you die to yourself, you're letting God resurrect a new person. Just as Jesus died and resurrected, you too can be resurrected today. You can leave this place a new person. That's why we have baptism, so you can go under that water, leave the old behind, and come out to be a new person. So if that's you today and you're like, I don't wanna do this life in my strength anymore. I need Jesus to lead me. I need someone to tell me what to do every day, how to live. That person's Jesus. He's waiting for you. He's been calling to you. Give in to him today. And if that's you, I don't want anyone looking around. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. If you would, just raise your hand. Let me know that's you. Just raise your hand all across the room. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, Jesus is calling for you to live a life greater than you would ever know. One more moment. This is your moment. First day of the rest of your life, of the best life. I see those hands. Yes, thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. If everyone would, just put your hands together for every person that made that decision today. And we're gonna pray together. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins. Take me by the hand. Lead me into my new future. Cleanse my heart and give me a new one. I love you. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Congratulations to all of you who made that decision today. Take some time before you leave and visit our Next Step team. We wanna be able to put some things in your hands and help you know what is next on your journey. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to speak today.